Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we're going to look at scriptures from Hosea, Micah, Acts, and Luke from Proper 22. Now, last week, we looked at the beginning of Hosea. We've got a couple more chapters to go. We've got chapters 13 and 14 to look at. It's 14 chapters. Interestingly, the rest of the books of what we call the Minor Prophets, starting with Hosea and ending with Malachi, the, uh, Hosea's got 14 chapters, but the rest of them have much shorter chapters. Zechariah has got 14 also, but Micah's got a few chapters. Jonah's got a few chapters. Obadiah's got one chapter, for example. Nahum's got one chapter. And then we'll look at the book of Micah after Hosea, and we'll continue our work with Acts in Acts 22 and Acts 25 through 25, and then we continue our voyage with Jesus in Luke chapter 6 through Luke chapter 8. All right, so let's look at, open our Bibles to Hosea chapter 13, verses 4 to 14 on Sunday. And what we are doing is we are reading these scriptures on a daily basis. We're praying about them. We may even do some commentary work on them. You may have some notes at the bottom of your Bible, study notes to look at. And we are listening to what God says to us about these scriptures. They are timeless, and the words are eternal. Verse 4, chapter 13, Hosea. But I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. He reminds them again. Remember, that's a very famous Exodus theme. You shall acknowledge no God but me, no Savior except me. We're still saying the same thing hundreds of years later. And this will follow us all the way into the New Testament and beyond, all the way into Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Acknowledge no God but me, no Savior but me. Remember, that's the first commandment. Know the gods before me. I cared for you in the desert, in the land of burning heat. I took care of you. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they, became, when they were satisfied, they became proud and they forgot me. See, you don't want that to happen. I'm thinking of Deuteronomy 8. When I fed them, they were satisfied. When they got satisfied, they got proud. I don't need God. I can do this on my own. I'm fine. I don't need his help. I don't need to pray. I don't need to read the Bible. I don't need to go to church. Then they forgot me. And then as the person drifts away because they're not reading the Bible, they're not praying, they're not going to church, then they eventually forget God. Now they're in serious trouble. And we see this in the book of Hosea. So, verse 7, I will come upon them like a lion, like a leopard, like a bear robbed of her club, cubs. I will attack them and rip them open. Like a lion, I will devour them. I will destroy you, O Israel, because you sinned against me, against your helper. Where is your king that he may save you? You got a king? Yeah, can't save you. Where are your rulers in all of your towns? See, in my anger, I gave you a king. In my wrath, I took him away. And so the Lord is sharing with him how he feels about the fact that they have denied him and forgotten him. And he has done all these great things for them. Think of all the great things that God has done for you. All the wonderful ways he's blessed your life. And I hope our audience has not forgotten God, but continues to serve God, love God, honor God, fear God. And so that he won't be disappointed or upset because we are not doing his will and not following him. Chapter 14. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. That's the pattern that we see in the Old Testament. 
Return to God, return to God, return to God, return to God. Your sins have been your downfall. That's your problem. You've sinned against me. You have done your own thing. You have become comfortable. You have become proud. You, don't, you say you don't need me anymore. You're out doing your own thing. You've heard that language, that idiom before. Take my words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive us our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. That's the attitude that God wants us to have. Last verse, great verse in Hosea. Who is wise? He will realize these things. Who is discerning? He will understand them. The ways of the Lord are right. What God does is right, folks. But the, right, the righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. The rebellious, those that want to do their own thing, they will stumble. Because the ways of the Lord are right. That's the measuring rod. That's the measuring rod. And the righteous will walk in them. I hope and pray all of you act and live in a righteous way before the Lord and are blessed by the Lord for your righteousness because you are doing what God says. Micah chapter 1. A couple of books over to your right as you turn to your right, the pages of your Bible. The word of the Lord came to Micah during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. The vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So we begin with judgment against Samaria and Israel. We continue with weeping and mourning. We continue on in chapter 2, man's plans and God's plans. Verse 1, woe to those who plan iniquity, those who plot evil on their beds. They covet fields, verse 2, and seize them, their houses, and take them. They defraud a man of his own home. I'm planning a disaster against his people. Does that sound familiar? Sounds much like Jeremiah, much like Hosea. From which you cannot save yourselves. You will no longer walk proudly, for it will be a time of calamity. False prophets. Verse 7, do not my words do good to those, to him whose ways are upright? I will bless the one that stands upright. I'm going to bless you, and my words are good, just like we said about Hosea. But if you do not do them, if you will not honor them, if you will not keep them, if you let them go, if you do not believe them, you will be punished. It will not go well for you. Chapter 3. Listen, you leaders of Jacob, verse 1, you rulers of the house of Israel, should you not know justice, you who hate good and love evil? You tear the skin from my people, the flesh from their bones. You eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin, break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. Reminds me of Proverbs chapter 1. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. When there's a significant amount of evil and a lack of repentance, the Lord will not listen. He will not hear. He will not answer. Chapter 3, verse 8. For as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression, transgression and to Israel his sin. Verse 11. This is so sad. Chapter 3. Her leaders judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet 
they lean upon the Lord and say, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Mm-mm-mm. Now, what we want to say in chapter 4, verse 2, he will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his path. That's the attitude that you want to have. Okay? You want to walk in the name of the Lord forever and ever, chapter 4, verse 5b. But in verse 12, chapter 4, verse 12, they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan. We need to know the word of the Lord. We need to know his plan. Finally, in chapter 5, we have a promised ruler from Bethlehem who turns out to be Jesus. Verse 2, very famous passage. But you, Bethlehem, Epaphathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Verse 4. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Do you notice this interplay, this juxtaposition between doing what is right and what is not right? The blessings of doing what is right, the fact that God is going to save us and help us and deliver us and offer us salvation and save us from our sins and the fact that he's going to judge. He's going to bring his wrath. He's going to curse us. And this interplay continues throughout the Old Testament prophets. And so, when you're reading the scriptures, I would offer you this advice. Listen with the eyes of the Lord in your own personal relationship with him and see where you stand in that relationship with him. If there's a need to repent of your sins, repent. If there's a need for praise, praise. If there's a need for sorrow for your sins, sorrow. But stay on the path of the Lord. Acts 22. Where we left our intrepid leader, Paul, he is intrepid, to say the least. Very amazing person. Um, he is now going to go through this rite of appealing to Caesar. And through these end chapters in 22, there's 28 chapters in Acts, um, he's going to appear before several leaders, and uh, they are going to protect him so that he can eventually get to Rome to see Caesar. Now, one of the ideas that many commentators have is that this process, remember I said last week that they prayed and the Spirit told him not to go to Jerusalem, but Paul felt led to go to Jerusalem, is this is the way that God, in many people's minds, many scholars' minds, believe that God was going to get Paul to Rome through this series of events. This is fascinating reading. So enjoy reading the end of chapter 22. He appears before the Sanhedrin at the end of 22. And in 23, he says to the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. And then he begins to say in verse 5, Brothers, I did not realize he was a high priest after he said, God strike you, you whitewashed wall. And so he repented and speaking badly to the high priest. My brothers, I'm a Pharisee. I am the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. You know, what I'm telling you is true. This is what happened to me. And so they had a plot to kill Paul 
in the middle of 23. They had a plot to kill Paul. The next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy, bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they killed him. Now, how long can you go without eating or drinking? More than 40 people were involved in the plot. We've taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we've killed Paul. Now, remember the sovereignty of God? Remember that concept, that theological concept, that theological truth? Nobody touches anybody without the sovereignty of God. And so God is going to do a series of miracles to save Paul from almost certain death. When the son of Paul's sister, verse 16, the son of Paul's sister heard of the plot to kill Paul, he went to the barracks, he told Paul. Paul told the centurion. The centurion said, Paul, the prisoner, sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. So the commander listened. The commander dismissed the young man and said, don't tell anyone you reported this to me. And Paul was transferred to Caesarea. Paul was transferred to Caesarea. And then he is going to appeal to Felix in chapter 24, the trial before Felix. And in 24, he recounts the things that happened to him. He tells him what has happened, what has gone on. And in 25, we have the trial before Felix through verse 27. Festus consults King Agrippa. So he appears before several people, tells them his situation and what he's trying to do. And along the way, God is leading and guiding Paul to protect Paul. Even the Paul is in great, great danger because these Jewish people, 40, about 40 people, have sworn an oath to kill him. And along the way, God is going to bless him and take care of him. Look at verse 27 of chapter 24, for example. When two years had passed, Felix had succeeded by Portius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. Sounds a lot like Joseph when he was in prison in Genesis. Uh, but he's still protected. He's safe. And so he goes and has his trial, and then he goes before King Agrippa at the end of 25. And so we will pick that up next week in pro uh, proper 23 and finish our time with Paul through uh, 28th chapter of Acts. Let's go back to our study and our watching of Jesus and our travel with Jesus. In Luke, we are in the sixth chapter, the 39th verse. And we were talking last week about loving our enemies, not judging other people, being merciful. Do not condemn, do not judge. And then he again is teaching. So Jesus is healing people. He's teaching people. He's doing miracles. He's casting out devils. He's doing nature miracles, walking on water, um, healing the blind and the lame. He's calming the wind and the waves. Amazing. But he's teaching them in this sixth chapter very much akin to Matthew's gospel uh, on the Sermon of the Mount 5, 6, and 7. For out of the out overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks, for example, in verse 45. Verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Isn't that a great question? Chapter 7, we have the healing of the centurion. The faith of the centurion, I should say. His servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. Jesus does not go to him, but just says the word, and he's healed. He raises a widow's son, the widow at Nain, raises her son from the dead. Now, who can do that, people? Who can heal somebody long distance? 
As we said last week, who can heal the paralytic by forgiving their sins? Who can raise somebody from the dead? Who can say the fish are over here, put your net over here when they haven't caught fish all night? Who can do that? He talks about John the Baptist at the end of chapter 7. Remember, John the Baptist is his cousin. John the Baptist is the one that preceded him. John the Baptist's ministry is very important. Again, he's teaching about who John the Baptist is, or was, I should say. Jesus is anointed by a sinful woman when he was invited to dinner at the Pharisees, and he has another teaching that he has for us. I love the line at the end of 47. He who has been, been forgiven little loves little and says to the lady, your sins are forgiven. Now, only God can forgive sins. We saw that with the healing of the paralytic. And now we see this situation among themselves. And that's why they said to one another in 49, thir- uh, 49 who is this who even forgives sins? Your faith has saved you, verse 50, go in peace. Then we have the wonderful parable of the sower. And we have the lamp on a stand, Jesus' mother and brothers. Jesus' mother and brothers in verse 19 came to see him, but they weren't able to get to him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to talk to you. Jesus says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Hear God's word and put it into practice. And then in the next pericope, the next section, he calms the storm. He's in the boat. Their cap feel like they're going to capsize due to the, how bad the, the, the uh, winds and the waves are. Feel like they're going to drown. Jesus is sleeping. Jesus is sleeping. He gets up. He rebukes it. He looks around and says, where's your faith? They're stunned. Even the wind and the waves obey him. So when you look at these scriptures in chapter 5 and chapter 6, you're going to see this extraordinary person doing extraordinary things in different ways. Now, what's your response? Okay? When you look at Paul, you see him doing extraordinary things. When you look at Hosea and Micah, you see the prophets tell us what the word of the Lord is. Same thing happens in Acts. Same thing happens through Jesus in Luke chapter 5 and 6. This is why your daily reading of the scriptures is so important because it will embolden you, it will bless you, it will encourage you. I hope you enjoy your reading this week for proper 22 in the daily lectionary. God bless you all and we look forward to seeing you next week.